Welcome, welcome. Preferred walk-ons, KCU 88.1 FM. Talking a little sports on a Friday afternoon. Hope you're having a good one as we parlay you into your weekend. Garrett Jones, Chase Phillips, Ben Krakow. I have returned to disrupt the norm of apparently what was a really good show last week, but happy to be back with you guys. Big college basketball games this weekend. Mizzou's back in the thick of things in the SEC. They clinched sole possession of 10th place, which all things considered... It's pretty good for how the season looked like it was breaking at the beginning of the year. We'll have much more on them in a moment. But let's start, guys, with the piece de resistance in the college basketball weekend. Number three, Kansas, traveling to number one, Baylor. Coach Scott Drew said that this is the biggest game in his time at the helm for the Bears. What are your initial thoughts as you handicap this game? Well, I think it's got to be the game of the year so far, right? It's two of the best teams, if not the two best teams in the country, Finally squaring off late in the conference year. Well, they, they played earlier this year. I should say the second time they played because Baylor already beat them in, in Kansas in Lawrence earlier this year. But you know, I think both these teams are probably headed for number one seeds and could potentially play each other in a couple weeks in Kansas City in the Big Twelve tournament again. But you know, it's a huge matchup, and it's arguably, as you said, the biggest basketball matchup that Baylor's ever hosted. Yeah, I would agree. I would say it's it's arguably. It's arguably the best going to be the best college basketball game of the year, and, and it's going to be an interesting test for Baylor. You know, I still don't think a lot of people are sold on them. I, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk around the studio and even just on national TV that you know this seems like a team that could get upset in the second round, and I, I personally don't see it. But you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see you know how they match up with Kansas. You know, I thought the first matchup Kansas really wasn't prepared for Baylor, and Baylor was hitting a lot of shots they normally don't hit. So I'm interested to see how it plays out. It should be a really good game. I think it's going to be a really tight game, too. I think you learn a lot about these teams by looking at their combined four losses total. Baylor's obviously got one. They dropped their season opener in a game against Washington. That team is completely dipped in the Pac-12. They've lost eight straight games. That game gets weirder and weirder the the further you get away from it. But then you look at Kansas. They dropped their season opener as well, but that was against number four Duke at the time. And then they lost to Villanova in December in a game in Philadelphia. That pretty much could have gone either way, especially at the end. But Jay Wright's got Villanova playing pretty well at this point in the season. They're pretty underrated in the Big East. And then they lost that first game, as been mentioned, to Baylor in the first matchup between these teams. So really interesting that to this point in the season, we see these two teams playing so elite in the Big 12, which has been kind of has taken, I should say, a step back this year overall with the defending champion K-State Wildcats and Texas Tech Red Raiders. Yeah, it doesn't have the depth that it's had, but still, if you have two number one seeds in your conference, I think you're having a, a pretty solid year there. And yeah, I mean, you could say across the board, it's not been the greatest year for college basketball. And I think one of the exciting parts, though, is that in all likelihood, we're going to get Baylor, Kansas once again in the Big 12 final, because unless one of these other teams goes on a run, which we just haven't seen enough consistency out of any of them, I don't think, those are clearly the two best teams in the Big 12, and we're going to get to see them three times. And, you know, let's say Baylor were to win this game and then the Big 12 title game. Does that knock Kansas out of a one seed? I don't know. But certainly that would seem to show that Baylor is better than they are if they win all three matchups. Yeah, and I mean, 
you know, we can always sit here and play the what if game. You know, it, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, I, I think you know, for just college basketball standpoints and just the excitement, I would like kind of like to see Kansas win this game. You know, not you know, I know I go to the University of Missouri, but I would like to see Kansas win this game. So that third game is kind of like a bragging rights game. And I think at that point too, you could sit there and say the committee could say, all right, well this this helps us because. Whoever wins this game is a number is is a one seed, and whoever doesn't is a two seed. And I think you could you know pretty well determine off that. You know Baylor is really really good. They're they're solid defensively. You know Scott Drew has really mastered this defensive scheme that you know not a lot of coaches have adapted. You know you, you look back at you know Tony Bennett in Virginia, a lot of people adapted this pack line defense, but this is different. He he plays with it's called a no middle defense, and they've allowed I believe something the other day I read they've allowed like 46 middle drives the whole entire season which is just I mean that's unheard of like you, you just don't allow people to not go go to the middle and they're just so long and athletic it's just hard to score on them consistently true or false is there at least one final four team playing at the Ferrell Center on Saturday I'll say true I, I think either of those teams can make it and without having a ton of depth across college basketball this year I certainly think that could be true I'm gonna say false um, the only reason I'm gonna say false is it's the NCAA tournament, and anything can happen at any point, and you never see it coming. So I'm going to say false because I have one of these teams in my Final Four, and they're probably going to lose because I never get my Final Four ever right, and I don't ever get the champion right. So that's why I'm saying false. We'll get to, at the end of the segment, your updated Final Fours in case you guys want to tweak that at this point in the season. That game, the biggest one tomorrow, number three, Kansas at number one, Baylor. A strange 11 a.m. tip on ESPN. So as you're rolling out of bed, maybe fixing some breakfast and some coffee, enjoy some elite college basketball. That's going to be a strange way to start a Saturday. Elsewhere, a game that I had my eye on in the Big East. The Big East has kind of turned, especially in these past couple of weeks, very meddled in the middle. Villanova, Xavier, Creighton, even Providence starting to get their word in this game. Villanova and Xavier battle tomorrow at the Cintas Center. Do you guys have a Big East team that you've got your eye on at this point in the year? Well, I think you always have to take Villanova seriously, right? I mean, they have the experience, they have the culture program, whatever you want to call it. But I think, you know, the the Big East has sort of been a quiet conference, but they've got a lot of really solid teams. You know, I don't know how many people caught that Butler-Seton Hall game the other night. Seton Hall wins it at the buzzer on a tip. Both those teams could certainly make a run. Marquette's had a good year. Creighton is, I think, one of the most underrated teams in the country that doesn't get talked about a lot, but they're sitting at number 15 in the polls. So there's a lot of teams in the Big East, I think, that could factor in the NCAA tournament this year. It's not necessarily the big-name schools outside of Villanova, and a lot of people know Butler now, but those schools have really built themselves into building the Big East back up to maybe not what it was back in the Syracuse-Georgetown days, but UConn, but still a real solid conference. Uh, Mine would be Seton Hall. And, you know, you sit there and think, and not a lot of people know who Miles Powell is. You, you better get to know who yeah. Miles Powell is really, really quick. Because when it comes to NCAA tournament time, he's probably going to take 23 shots. But he's probably going to score about 30, 35 a game. He's, he's not a great defender. He's really not a great passer. But he just knows how to score. And to me, whenever I look at that, you know, you look back at those Kimball Walker teams. You know, and that, that kind of is what I get from Seton Hall. Except Seton Hall has a little more little more to help Miles Powell. You know, he doesn't always have to do anything. That Miles Kale is always really good. And they also have a big guy inside. I forgot his uh, first name, but his last name is Gill, and he's like a seven-footer that's super athletic. So they, they've got some they've got some help around. You know, I think Marcus Howard and Marquette are good. Um, I, I think, to me, they're probably, you know, not going to do anything in the tournament. Just, you know, last year was probably their year with the Hauser brothers and Marcus Howard, you know, but 
I, I think it should be a really fun, you know, Big East tournament. I remember the days of the Big East tournament when, you know, you'd watch a game on Wednesday, you know, and you're watching, you know, a, a top 25 team play on a Wednesday in the Big East because there's nine other teams that are ranked. Well, yeah. and, and how about this in the Big East, too? And among the 10 teams this year, and I understand Nepal is only 1-12 in the conference, but none of them are under 500. Wow. It's not a single under 500 team overall in the Big East this year. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, DePaul had a non-conference win over Texas Tech. That Villanova-Xavier game getting going at 1.30 tomorrow. Elsewhere in the SEC, probably the most interesting game tomorrow in Lexington, Florida at number 10, Kentucky. The Gators were a team that came in preseason top 10. Kentucky, very much the same. They've been able to stay the course in that game. Do you guys think that Florida has the chance to pull the upset here? I don't think so. I think Kentucky is really rolling right now. You know, they've they've developed like they usually do. And usually by this time of year, they're playing their best basketball. They got that big win the other night at LSU. I think you know Tyrese Maxey, Ashton Hagens, Nick Richards. Well, Hagens got hurt the other night too. So yeah, so to keep p- in potentially, it's a it's a hamstring injury too. And you know, with how explosive he is, it, it could play into a factor. It certainly I'm not could. Say they're win, certainly could. I just think right now they're starting to gel, and they're playing their best basketball of the year at home against a Florida team that's been inconsistent. I, I I think Kentucky wins this game pretty easily. I think Florida has a chance just because you don't ever know what you're going to get from this Florida team. They're they're very very weird. Some games. You know, they played Baylor, and it was, I believe, it was a six-point game with two minutes left. Ended up losing by twelve, but they're they're playing, you know, some of these high-quality teams really well. And then, I mean, they lost to Missouri when Missouri was not playing really good basketball hardly at all. I mean, it took, yeah, I know they hit like twenty threes, Mizzou did, but still, you know, Florida's a very very inconsistent team. But it's also, I, I think, you know, I think Florida kind of needs that win personally. If not, I mean. They're probably going to still get in the tournament, but they're probably sitting right now at that 9-10 to 10 seed. And, I mean, ideally you'd like to get down, you know, if you could into that 6 range. And if they, you know, went out and won some games in the SEC tournament, they probably could. But I think it's a big game for Florida. That one getting going at 5 o'clock Central Time on ESPN. Jumping over to the Pac-12 where things have gotten very interesting. Last night, Arizona State upset Oregon. Bill Walton making headlines in that game per usual. Nothing normal for Pac-12 after dark. Well, it wasn't on just Bill Walton, though. Right. It was Frank Caliendo being Bill Walton yep. with Bill Walton. Yeah. That's, you know, it's fun. And you, know, you also, uh, if you if you didn't tune in, you missed Bill Walton's list of five sweatiest people, which actually contained six, including himself. I'm glad we were able to get to that on the show today. Former sports director at KCU Carter Woodiel always said, nobody ever tunes in to watch a sports broadcaster unless it's people turning on some random Pac-12 game for Bill Walton, which is just so contrarian. I feel so bad for Dave Pash. Like He does a great job of managing. He does, but like, it's just like, all right, Dave Pash, you got to be a Bill Walton. you got to think he's like... But also people yeah. know Dave Pash's name because it's true. of Bill That's Walton. True. It's That's very true. true. That's very true. He does a really nice job for ESPN in both college football and college basketball. But he covers the Pac-12 where I mentioned, getting back on track here, that things have gotten very interesting. Suddenly, Colorado is in first place. They're the number 18-ranked team in the country. Arizona checks in at number 24. Arizona State now in third place, tied with Arizona. And then Oregon, number 14 in the country, has fallen all the way back to fourth in the conference. They're on the road tomorrow night at number 24, Arizona, at the McHale Center. Do you guys think that this is a game that Oregon has to win to win the Pac-12? Possibly. I, I think it's it's very tight. If you're talking about winning the regular season in the Pac-12, there's a yeah. lot of four and five loss teams. So possibly it could make the difference. I don't know. I mean, that game plus Colorado-UCLA, which could be a huge game for UCLA to get back in the tournament picture in Boulder. You know, I don't know if they have to win it to win the Pac-12, but it certainly would help their chances considering how many teams are stacked up right there. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally think Arizona probably has the better chance 
to win the Pac-12. Arizona was a team that, you know, the preseason, they were ranked, I believe they were either 6th or 7th in the country, and they've kind of fallen off. They're kind of finding the way, but they have two really dynamic guards. They have Nico Mannion and Josh Green, who are both very, very good, along with Zeke Naji. If you guys remember, former Duke uh, center Chase Jeter is also on that team as well. They've got a lot of depth. They've got a lot of athleticism. If they get hot at the right time, they're going to be a t- really tough team to beat, I think. Elsewhere on the West Coast, very curious to see if you gentlemen will stay up for Pac-12 after dark tomorrow night. We've got some West Coast Conference after dark as well. And the game that Gonzaga quietly, I mean, usually, this is par for the course for Gonzaga, usually dropping one game they probably should and then just running the table in that conference. They've got a challenger tomorrow night. They head to the Marriott Center in Provo to battle the 23rd-ranked BYU Cougars. Should Gonzaga be on upset alert? I mean, possibly. BYU is a pretty good team. It's a road environment. Gonzaga struggled in the first half. They were losing last night to San Francisco. So, possibly. I don't know if it really... I think they would still be a one seed even if they lost that game. But, I mean, sure, on the road in a tough environment, yeah, could they lose? Of course. And they they need Keelan Tilly to be healthy for them to have success. And how healthy is he, I think, is still a question. Yeah. Gonzaga's legit. I mean, they're... You know, there's a lot of U.S. people who can say, you know, how good... I mean, they're, they're legit. I mean, they've got... You know, Philip Petrosev inside is very, very good. Killian Tilly is really good. Drew Timmy comes off the bench. There's three good big guys right there, not to mention, you know, they've got uh, Ryan Wolveridge and uh, they've got a Mod Gilder as well. I mean, they just, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on about the type of players they have. And they're finally starting to get some of these big recruits as well. You know, a guard out of Minnehaha, Jalen Suggs next year coming in. I mean, they're they're legit. I mean, they're, they're really good. They're going to be really tough to beat. Yeah, elsewhere in the top 25, Tennessee travels to Auburn. Auburn having dropped two games in a row, including the one last Saturday to Missouri. Ben talked about Marquette a little bit. They're at the road at Providence, who has suddenly caught fire in the Big East. Duquesne battles number five, Dayton, number 17, West Virginia at TCU. 22nd ranked Houston at Memphis. Florida State at NC State, who got that big win over Duke on Wednesday night. North Carolina over Louisville, who could really use a win. UCLA over Colorado. Buffalo's trying to establish their footing in the Pac-12. San Diego State still undefeated. They take on UNLV. They probably won't have a challenge the rest of the regular season. And then wrapping up the top 25, Virginia Tech at number six. Duke, who we mentioned, dropped dud on Wednesday night. Out of those games that I ran on the list through, are there any ones that catch your eye? Ooh. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, there's always a possibility. Like we saw, you mentioned Duke and North Carolina State the other night. There's always a possibility of an upset at any point in time in college basketball. And especially this year, it seems like teams on the road are having an extremely tough time. To me, I think Marquette at Providence. Providence is a good team. They're playing at home. It's an early game. That's one that I could see Providence winning. I'm not sure they're really that much worse than Marquette, even though Marquette technically has that number ranking next to their name. Yeah, I'm gonna, mine's going to be NC State, Florida State. NC State probably played their best game of the year on Wednesday night when they beat Duke. But I, I think it's going to be interesting to see as well, you know, how Florida State plays. You know, their last game, Devin Vassell did not play. Leonard Hamilton said it was for undisclosed reasons, did not give a reason why that he didn't play. And it, it, it was really interesting. You know, it, it just kind of happened all out of the blue. So don't know what that's about. Vassell's a really good player. He's easily their best player, which on a, you know, a team that goes 10 deep and he averages 14 or 15 a night. So going to be interesting to see if he plays tomorrow. If not, I'd say NC State has a good chance, and it's another win they need if they were going to get in the tournament. And Florida State hosts Louisville on Monday as well. 
NC State right on that NCAA tournament bubble. We'll be talking about bubble watch coming up on the show, surely, as the calendar starts to get nearer and nearer to March. Well, good segment of college basketball talk. Great college basketball Saturday coming up tomorrow. We'll stay with the topic and talk a little Mizzou hoops, both men and women's, coming up on the show. This is the preferred walk-ons on KCOU 88.1 FM. Threat on KCOU 88.1 FM. Catch Kyle Jones. And so then he said, All right, well, if I can't wear my helmet, I'm not playing. Chance Sticklin. I think the Bama every single year is the best college football team. And Cole Tusi. If Trubisky can get it done, the Bears will win a Super Bowl. He's the key. Tune in every Thursday morning from 11 to noon only on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCU.FM, or on the TuneIn app. You don't want to miss it. I'm Michael Imami. I'm Logan Franz. And I'm Patrick Herring. Join us each Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. on Mid-Missouri's hottest sports show, The Hot Corner, where we discuss all the latest sports stories in football, baseball, hockey, and more. He then proceeded to bring his dogs back to his cabin, where he then proceeded to pull out of the race. Not because of the health of his dogs, just because they just didn't want to do anything. Listen to us each and every Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU.FM. You're really trying to be right. I'm just trying to throw numbers at the wall and hope they stick. You're seeing the guy who picked the loser's score right two weeks in a row. Yeah. Where are they going to find an elephant, Patrick? Effort. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't think there are just elephants roaming around Florida it would, on a regular it would, basis. Would it surprise you if there were elephants in Florida? I mean, I've been to Florida. It doesn't seem like a great place for elephants. That's a nice car you got there. Want to race? If you love fast cars and close racing, tune in every Thursday morning for Burnin' Rubber on KCOU 88.1 FM. Join Sterling Siemens. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's just a badge on a truck. Howie Step. How badly do you really want Kyle Larson, Rick Hendrick? And Justin Farmer. I've seen the footage. I've seen the pictures. Holy cow, this car looks amazing. As they break down the latest in NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One, and other racing series from around the world. Hallelujah. Start off your morning the right way with Burnin' Rubber every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia. Want to do true-false on a budget? Consider purchasing a stay-up-late pass for an inexpensive tour of the weekend's offerings. Benefits include access to all concerts and musical showcases, admission to films starting after 9 p.m., and entry to the infamous action party. For information on pricing and fest passes, again, please visit truefalse.org. Truefalse 2020, March 5th through the 8th. Fix is a proud supporter of KCOU 88.1 FM. Max Fix is located behind the U.S. Bank in the MU Student Center and handles cracked screens and other electronic repairs. Thank you, Max Fix, for supporting KCOU Columbia 88.1 FM. And thank you, Ben, for that word from Max Fix. 
Preferred Walk-Ons rolls on here. Second segment, Garrett Jones, Chase Phillips, and Ben Krakow here with you on a Friday afternoon. Talk a little college hoops to open up the show. We'll keep it going here with Mizzou Hoops. And guys, after the Tigers secure 71-68 victory over Ole Miss on Wednesday, I should say, for their fifth SEC wins, suddenly things are really interesting around Missouri basketball again. Yeah, no, they've certainly played well in their last four games dating back to that overtime win against Arkansas and then nearly defeating LSU on the road. And then, of course, the last two wins against Auburn and Ole Miss the other night. And certainly, you know, I don't know how much it matters this year. Maybe it vaults them back into the NIT discussion. But certainly going forward, considering, as we've discussed before, that many of these same players will be back next year, it has to be a positive sign, especially Xavier Penson, who's had 28 against Auburn and then a career-high 32 the other night against Ole Miss as he's really taken advantage of this extra playing time, averaging almost 20 points a game in the seven last seven games that he started. The only big issue that I have with this Missouri team, and you know Xavier Penson has been nothing short of phenomenal the last couple games, but you know he's shooting 19 of 25 the past two games, and that's that's really, really good. At some point, you're going to regress down to the mean. It's going to happen. It's just it's it's just inevitable. But the thing with Pinson is, and what he's been doing a lot lately too, it's not the scoring. It's the playmaking ability. You know, he's setting these guys up. You know, Parker Brown, who I thought played really, really well on Tuesday night. You know, Reed Nika was coming, kind of coming into his own. Trey Jackson, Kobe Brown, these big guys. And even some of these other guards are getting a lot more open looks. I think Drew Smith looks a lot better to me personally playing the two than he does the one because – I, I think he's a great passer, don't get me wrong, but I think he's very good at scoring, and I, I think he's finally realizing, hey, I can score 15 to 20 a night, and it's not going to be really a problem. Yeah, the interesting thing when you look at this recent stretch for Missouri is the fact that, yeah, they've won three to four, but all three of those wins have been at home. And this team throughout the season, no matter when, it feels like the proverbial script has flipped on this team. It feels like a completely different team in the latter half of the month of February. But even then, when you go back to the beginning of the season, Missouri was still a pretty good team at home. It was a neutral site in the road games where they were playing really poorly. And even when you look back at the SEC play, they only put up 51 in their second-to-last road contest at Texas A&M. That's an Aggie team that's pretty much in the middle of the pack in the SEC. And then they put up 78 a couple Tuesdays ago at LSU, which is an elite team in the conference. So, you know, they head to Arkansas this weekend on the road in Fayetteville. And, Ben, it just it just seems like we don't really know what we're going to get out of this Missouri team when they take the road. No, they've only won one road game all year. That was yep. the game at Temple. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, you look at the remainder of their schedule with these next two road games, Arkansas and Vanderbilt, and then a home game in Mississippi State, a road game at Ole Miss, and then a home game against Alabama. Those are all winnable games. The question is, can they consistently put together performances like they have these last four games to go on some sort of run? You know, potentially, Conzo Martin saying today that Jeremiah Tillman will be back tomorrow. That certainly could help. If Mark Smith comes back at some point, that could help. But we just don't know. What These last four games have been really solid, the question is, can that continue, especially when you go on the road? Not that Arkansas and Vanderbilt are that tough of road opponents, but still playing on the road is just different from playing at home, especially for college athletes. Well, and, and to me, there's no excuse that the Missouri Tigers should not be 16-10 right now. To me, there's, abso- there's absolutely no excuse that they shouldn't be. You know, I look at the- What are the three wins? Well, one is Charleston Southern. You don't lose that game. Yep. That, that's, that's a game that, you know— Jim Stark's schedule says, hey, Conzo, here's a win for you. you know, and, you, and you lose it. You know, you don't lose that game. You just don't. I mean, just, I mean, Charleston Southern this year has been 13 and 15 and 5th in the Big South, and you lose that game. You don't lose that game. And I would say, you know, I think 
one of the A&M games, probably the one at home, is probably a game you shouldn't blow. And, you know, even on the road, you probably shouldn't lose to them on the road either. You yeah. really shouldn't. The A&M is, you know, the 13-12, and 12, but they're not really that good. You shouldn't lose either one of those games. That Those would be the three to me. There's no reason they shouldn't be 16-10. Well, you called the game at home against Texas A&M where they were torn Swanson's three being a couple inches short and into the basket away from winning that game on a heck of an inbounds play drawn up by Coach Morgan. Yeah, but those, I mean, I think it shouldn't look, have came to that. Yeah, and look, look the other night, Breen Tyree missing the potential right. game tying three at the buzzer. Those they had some good looks. Uh, those things chance often... To win the game balance each other out right. in the grand scheme of things. Not always. but no, Yeah, absolutely. It's just interesting to kind of look at that second A&M game especially yeah. and think about how close Missouri could be to And then going back to what Chase was saying, you know, Xavier Penson was shooting 30 or 20% for most of the year from three. His last seven games, he's 15 to 29. Obviously, he's not going to keep up that pace, but can he develop into more consistent three-point shooter? And then I think one of the other keys in this run, too, has been their free throw shooting. We talked about all year how good they are, especially late in games. Drew Smith and Xavier Pinson have made a lot of free throws down the stretch that have been real key to this run in securing these wins. Now, it's different, once again, when you're on the road. It's a tougher environment to make free throws in. But if they can consistently do that at the end of games, that was something they really struggled with last year was finishing games. And they've done that in this latest stretch with the exception of that LSU game where LSU came back right at the end after Missouri led for most of the game. But if they can continue to do that, because these game, next few games are likely to be close games, that will certainly help them in terms of you know, making the free throws at the end of the game. I'm curious to hear both of your thought on this because if you look at Conzo Martin, there's no pressure because he can't be fired until the fourth year of his, his contract without cause. So he's got nothing to worry about this year. Earlier in the year, you might have heard some clamors from some few Missouri fans possibly wanting a change in the head coaching spot. But that's not going to happen anyway, and it really it shouldn't. But you look at the recruiting dynamic, and that makes things extremely interesting for this team because they've only got one commit right now. Correct me if I'm wrong, it's two-star center Jordan Wilmore, who's an extremely raw prospect, kind of what Reed Nico's situation was when he was coming out of high school. Didn't have a lot of D1 interest. Josh Christopher, five-star guard, put Missouri in his top four today, according to Twitter. That's something worth noting. But if you're Conzo Martin and you're the team, what are you playing for at this point? Are you playing for an NIT berth? Are you clinging to the hope that maybe you can make a run having to play one less game in the SEC tournament? I don't think it's necessarily that, but I think you bring up the point, right? Renico is the only player who's going to leave this roster after this year, barring more transfers. Obviously, Mario McKinney transferred earlier this year after barely playing in the first semester. But I think you build on, look, this is the group we're going to have next year once again. So, you you know, you're almost, it's almost like a one season as a whole, this, the rest of this year and next year. You're hoping that you can continue the success and then build on that going into next year because really your roster is not going to change much, if at all. Well, and I, I think, too, if you're Consul Martin, you sit there and you look at this team and you, you sit down with Jim Sturk and say, hey, you know, even if they don't get Josh Christopher, you say, hey, I know we only have one one guy you know, coming in next year, but look look at what we've done the, these past 10 games. You know, th- this is what we expect to be, you know, and they're going to continue to grow and be better. You know, you know, you think about it. There's no reason Drew Smith shouldn't be better next year. There's no reason Xavier Pinson shouldn't be better next year. Mark Smith the same way. You know, Javon Pickett, Kobe Brown, you know, all, they're all young. You know, they're really all young other than, you know, Mitchell Smith, which, you know, you're going to get what you're going to get out of Mitchell Smith. And, but the rest of these guys, they should develop. You know, with Mitchell Smith and Torrance Watson, you probably know what you're getting out of them. Their their development is probably not going to be as high as these other players that you have on the team. But you know exactly what you're going to get, and you know that these guys can develop. And, you know, you know, this year I think we all agreed, you know, we thought Missouri could be a 20-win team. You know, and I think Conzo Martin, I think that was the goal. Conzo Martin definitely did. He said this team could compete for an SEC title. Yeah, and I, I think 
what you're seeing now is what he saw at the beginning of the year. I think they're finally starting to play. They just need a couple more bodies. They need to get healthy. If they can get healthy, I mean, there's no reason I don't think they can make a. There's no reason I don't think they can make a run in the SEC tournament. If they can play like this, they can play with anybody. They're in action tomorrow at Arkansas. That game's a noon tip on SEC Network. Unfortunately, we won't be covering it on Case TOU. However, Tiger Basketball will be back on our station next Saturday against Mississippi State on the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. Guys, six games at least guaranteed for Missouri, including the first round of the SEC tournament. Let's play over-under. Do you think this team surfaces three wins? Yes, I would say, I think considering the remaining schedule, they could win three games. I mean, I think it's right about three. I think that's, you know, could it be four? Sure. Could it be two? I guess. But I would say somewhere in the three to four range. Well, I mean, the the thing with Missouri, I'm going to say over, yes. But I would say that they're going to win one game they probably shouldn't down the stretch. They're also probably going to lose one game that they probably shouldn't as well. Um, You know, know, this Saturday they come out and beat Arkansas by 15 points and then go to Vanderbilt and lose by – you know, 12 or something like that. That would be something that Missouri would do. You know, do I think that they have a chance in every single game left? Yes, absolutely. I think they could go 5-0 and if they play the way that they're playing right now. Especially drawing a what right now would be a very weakened Tennessee team in the yeah. seventh seed in the Southeastern Conference Tournament. Speaking of which, we'll go ahead and transition to kind of a general conference overview. You look at the top of the table, Kentucky, Auburn, and LSU – the Kentucky Wildcats kind of distinguished themselves as the front runners in this conference. They've got a two-game lead on Auburn and LSU and Florida tied for second in the conference. Do you think that there's any challenge for Kentucky coming – challenger, I should say, coming at this point? In the no, year? I think with the way they've played and especially getting that win at LSU, I think that pretty much distances themselves in the regular season. I think once you get to the conference tournament, anything can happen in that kind of situation and certainly Auburn – or LSU, or even a team like Florida potentially could knock them off. But I think with them having a two-game lead on everybody right now in the rest of the regular season, I, I don't see them losing that. They'll they'll win the regular season title. It's just going to be hard. They, they would have to lose two games, and Auburn would have to win out. And Auburn right now does not look good. But I would say in the SEC tournament, I agree with everything Ben just said. You know, I think a, a healthy Auburn team probably will win the SEC. I mean, people don't realize how good Isaac Okoro is and what they're missing from him not being in the lineup. I mean, to, just to be blatantly honest, if he plays a game against Missouri, Missouri probably is not winning that game. I mean, he's he's that much of a difference maker. It's interesting because according to Joe Lenardi, there are three SEC teams that are at or around the bubble range, those being Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Alabama, who's had a bad week. They've taken a step back. But of those three teams, are there anyone that catch your eye as they should really make the NCAA tournament? I'm honestly not really. I mean, I think Mississippi State would have been a couple weeks ago. I, I mean, Mississippi State is solid. They just don't. They don't really have a, a great win. Um, you know, I mean, they're a solid team. You know, South Carolina. Yeah, they're eight and five in conference, but they had a lot of bad non-conference losses. Um, they lost to Boston University and Stetson University. Yeah. So I mean, and if you look at Mississippi State, they lost to Louisiana Tech. They lost to New Mexico State. Uh, I, I mean, they're just there's not a whole lot of good. You know, and then you look at their schedule. There's not a whole lot of good wins. You know, you you might say Arkansas fully healthy was a good win, but I mean, other than that, there's just not a whole lot there. Um, you know, I I guess Mississippi State, if you if you wanted to say a team, you know, I think Alabama at 14 and 12 is going to need a lot of help to get in, um, and they're going to have to help themselves as well. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there. Yeah, I think multiple teams are going to need to go on some sort of run if they're going to make it to the NCAA tournament from the middle of the SEC. Which, I mean, it, it happens every year. There's one team that makes some miracle run that you never see, and they're in the NCAA tournament. Next thing you know, they're in the Sweet 16. So. We'll see what happens.
Yeah, the SEC, although it's been really tight the past couple of years, especially go back to 2017, 2018, when Missouri was competing in the conference for at least the top positioning in that conference, they were a five seed when they lost to Georgia in the first round. This is the first year where it really feels streamlined at the top, especially. There's not a whole lot in the middle. And you look down at the bottom tier, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Georgia, and Vanderbilt. Arkansas had a really great non-conference schedule. They went 11-1, and but they're just 4-9 and nine in the SEC. It's interesting that there's not going to be a winless team in the conference this year. Vanderbilt topped LSU a couple weeks ago. SEC tournament should be interesting. We should have coverage for that at KCOU. That's coming up in the second week of March in Nashville, Tennessee, so stay tuned for that. Speaking of staying tuned, we're going to talk a little Mizzou Olympic sports, but before we get to that, we're going to hit the highlights on the NFL's new CBA. You won't want to miss it. It's preferred walk-ons coming up. to Mizzou in Review. I'm Logan Franz. We start with Missouri men's basketball. The Tigers have now won three out of their last four, capped off with a home win over Ole Miss Tuesday night. Xavier Pinson has averaged a whopping 23 points per game in those contests, peaking with a career-best 32 against the Rebels. Tiger in it. <laughs> Hello, Tigers. Welcome into Missouri in Review. I'm Logan Franz. We start with Missouri men's basketball. The Tigers have now won three out of four, capped off with a home win over Ole Miss Tuesday night. Xavier Pinson has averaged a whopping 23 points per game in those contests, peaking with a career-best 32 against the Rebels. Tigers in action at Arkansas tomorrow with tip-off at noon. The Missouri women split a pair of home games in the past week. They took a loss last Sunday against Florida and topped Vanderbilt last night on the road. Haley Frank poured in a career-high 24 off the bench. As for the Diamond Sports, Mizzou Baseball 2-1 after opening weekend plays Kansas State on Friday, Utah on Saturday, and AM Corpus Christi at the Kleberg College Classic in the Lone Star State. Mizzou Softball won its first nine games and rose to number 17 in the national rankings, but have lost its last three games. Tigers have five games this weekend in the Mary Nutter Collegiate Classic. That's all for this week. Until next time, this has been Mizzou in Review. I'm Logan Franz, KCOU Sports. The ruling on the field is that Instant Replay is KCOU's hottest new show. The previous play is under further review. Join me, Ben Greenberger, every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 as I break down everything across the world of sports. If it happens in the NHL, MLB, NFL, or NCAA, you can bet you can hear it on Instant Replay. If you ever miss a show, be sure to head over to Twitter at Instant Replay MU to interact and catch up on what you missed. Rest assured, you'll be glad you used a challenge on this one. After further review, the ruling on the field stands. The city in chaos. Businesses and organizations continue to plague. They have people with lame t-shirts. Now here's weather. Hey, newsman. My forecast. Head down to Dig It Graphics. Oh, where's Fred? Names T. Shirts. Shirts. Cool custom shirts. Whether screen printed or embroidery, you'll have a 100% chance of looking good, baby. Can they print something that says, I love mom? Sure can, mama's boy. Don't just wear it. Dig it. Digitgraphics.com. Shirts. Looking for live music for your event? Look no further than KCOU 88.1 FM. 
Whether it be an event for your student organization, local business, or even a private party, let KCOU's trade DJs provide the jams. Our DJs work with you to craft the right playlist for your event at an affordable price. For more information, contact Nash Walker at business at kcou.fm. That's business at kcou.fm. Thank you, Ben. Preferred walk-ons rolling on here. Third segment. Football season might be over, but the NFL is known as the year-long newsmaker, and Chase Phillips has taken time to dissect the new potential CBA, which the NFL owners reportedly uh, voted to approve the terms of, if I'm correct. Chase, do you want to break that down for us? Yeah, so... What, what is going on is with, with every M- NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB, whatever, they always have a collective bargaining agreement between the players and the owners. And um, as you mentioned, Garrett, on Thursday it was passed. Um, the new CBA was passed. Um, there's a few minor stipulations to it. Um, but, however, if it is passed, it'll be in effect for this league year, which, you know, it, it could affect the salary cap, even could affect free agency as well. But just quickly breaking down, um, and it's a 10-year deal. I actually learned that out a little bit ago, um, that it would uh, solve about 10 years of, of the labor between the two. Um, so whenever you look at it, the first thing is they, they will want to expand to a 17-game schedule. Um, that's, that's the first and foremost big thing uh, for the owners. Um, and they also want to increase the share of total revenue to the players to 48%. It's at 47% right now. Um, they want to go to 48%, um, but there's also tweaks to that as well. So basically under the new proposal, um, the 17-game the schedule would take the total revenue from 47% up to 48.5%. Um, if it stays at 16 games, it would go from 47 to 48 um, so that one game is basically a, a half a percent if the players agree to that. But the other big thing is that there would be seven teams in the playoffs. So there would only be one bye. The two would play the seven. The three would play the six. And the four would play the five. You'd have three wild card games in each conference. Um, but, when you know, when you first look at this, uh, you know, you know there's, there's not a whole lot of good for the players, if, you're, if we're being honest. Um, the only other good things for the players is that there's not an automatic suspension for any sort of, you know, testing positive for different sort of, you know, PDs or, you know, other types of substances in the NFL. But if they agree to play the 17th game, players are only going to be able to make $250,000 in that 17th game of the season, which, you know, th- there's a lot of players, they have no incentive to play that. You know, there's been a lot of people that have come out on Twitter, you know, especially J.J. Watt, the second it was released, he said, yep, hard no for me. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm curious for you guys' thoughts. Well, I'm curious to see if this continues to be the most contentious issue, that being the 17-game schedule. Because you think about it, they play four preseason games. If you're making a Super Bowl run, that's an extra three games at minimum. So you look at that and say, okay, they're actually ending up playing a total of 23 games in pretty much an entire football season. What is the harm of adding one more? Why do you guys think that's the most contentious issue? Well, I, the, the biggest thing is the owners want more money. That's, yeah. that's, you know, that's the flat bottom line. Owners want more money. They're very greedy. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing to note that during this, during this vote, it was not unanimous. It actually was very far off the unanimous. Er, Didn't unanimous. the NFL players vote against the 6-5? Um, th- that's what a, a committee of NFL players, okay. it wasn't, a, you know, an actual vote against. That's what a committee um, voted against. But I believe the owners, it was 18 to 14 is, is the way it passed. So it, it barely passes. Um, you know, with the players, they need two-thirds votes to pass this. 
you know, there's just there's there's a lot of good for the owners and not a lot of good for the players. But correct me if I'm wrong. There, Ben. Yeah, I think it was kind of it's been kind of weird because like these negotiations, there's a lot of like messages being sent constantly, and like the owners just kind of pushed this as like it's done, right? Like this is what's happening. And the players were like, whoa, 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 we haven't approved anything yet. This is what you want to happen. And I think especially it seems like in football, maybe even more than other leagues, it really turns into this war between the owners and the players. And the players are going to push back, I think, against some of the things the owners are suggesting. And the owners are taking the stance of, we won't negotiate, you do what we say, or else lockout. Whereas people like Andrew Brandt, former Packers executive who now works Sports Illustrated used to work at ESPN, who knows a lot of this kind of business. He's been around it and says, look, the NFL needs the players to go along with this to get their new media deals. They want broadcast deals, more money for the teams and the owners specifically. So they're going to be negotiating. They may not take that stance right now, but at the same time, it's a lot of cat and mouse. It's a lot of sending messages through, you know, trying to, you know, see who's going to move, you know, who's going to move first. It's like, you're going to move or we're going to move. Players are currently trying to call the owner's bluff. It's complicated. These are labor situations that generally take a while to sort out. And I think the owners were just trying to push this through real quick and we'll be done with it. And I don't think that's what's going to happen because that's not usually what happens. And the players are not just going to go along with it. No, no. And, and you're completely right, Ben. It, it did. It To me, it seemed kind of weird. You know what I mean? Because. You know, when you talk about these labor situations, and you both have been around for, you know, the NHL lockouts and stuff like that, it's something that when they're creating this, it takes time. And it seemed like to me it took them like two days. Okay, all right, here we go, boom. You know, like boat on it, pass. And it just seemed very, very rushed. Um, You know, Emmanuel Sanders, a wide receiver, he actually spoke out about it a little bit earlier today, and he said adding an extra game, think about if you add an extra game to a 16-year career of a person. That's an extra – they said someone's playing an extra full season. He goes, there's no reason football is great right now. Why would you change it? Which, you know, I kind of agree on. You know, I think – I don't think it's going to pass. But, you know, personally, I think there's going to have to be some tweaks to it. Jumping over to the proposed change in the playoff format, putting on your fan hat for a moment, is seven teams in the playoffs per conference really what you want to see? I'm okay with it. I, everyone's overreacting, but it's one more team per league. I don't think it's that much of a difference. And frankly, I've never been a huge fan of the buys. I just feel like, you know, in no other league do you just get to skip around because you are really good. And I think oftentimes, too, we see the second buy, especially as a team that isn't particularly deserving. They just find their way into that second buy, often through a tiebreaker or something else. So to me, yeah, I'm fine with less buys. To me, I've just never been a fan of that format, and I think adding one more team isn't going to be that much of a difference. Well, I, I just give you one scenario if you if you want to have a seven-team in. Did you really want to see Devlin Hodges go play the Kansas City Chiefs <laughs> in the playoffs? That's that's really what you need to say right there. And you look at all these – I, I went back and looked. And I was actually genuinely curious. I went back and looked at the seventh-seeded teams and looked at their rosters – from the few years, and I mean, no, I don't want to watch those teams in the playoffs. There, there's a reason that it's at six. I think it's perfect right now the way it is. I, I think, you, you know, you're basically, and Ben, I get what you're saying about the buy. You know, it doesn't really make sense. But at the same point, you're basically saying to a team, you know, like the Chiefs this year who went 13 and three or 12 and four, whatever they went. Hey, you had a really good year, but now you have to go play a team who might upset. You know what I mean? It, it's, I, I don't. It, it's tricky. It's a tricky situation. 
You're telling me that you wouldn't want your beloved Pittsburgh Steelers going up against the eventual Super no. Bowl champion no, I, no, Kansas City Chiefs. No, because I know how that game would have went. It, it would have led to me not being very happy, but that's beside <laughs> the point. Yeah, very interesting indeed. Chase, you've dissected this pretty thoroughly, but is there anything that catches your eye that you didn't mention before? Uh, you, you know, the only other, you know, big thing that um, that Commissioner Roger Goodell, he also put in there as well, um, fifth-year options are fully guaranteed. They're not performance-based anymore, so that's um, something that's interested. I already talked about the, uh, you know, the PED suspensions. Um, you know, something else is, you know, most teams are uh, eligible to activate two players off the IR. They're actually eligible to activate three in this new CBA. And for every game, instead of having 46 active players, um, they're allowed to have 48, which I, I was mean to ask you guys about that. What do you like? They have like the 53 man. Like, why are not all 53 or 55? Why are they not all active? Like, you're paying them anyways. They mm-hmm. might as well. Like, I don't get that. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I feel like that'd be a better question to ask a coach, honestly, because when you evaluate it, obviously the GM handles the dollars and cents and the team president works up from there. But I would ask a coach. If I were the new CBA, if I were writing a new CBA, I would approach a coach and say, hey, how many active players do you actually need any given Sunday? Because you see it so often, like players will have to, teams will have to dig so deep into their reserves throughout the course of a football season due to injuries that we have to see so much roster tweakage in the NFL. I'd be really curious to see what they'd come up with. Yeah, and then the other thing as well is the, the long-term you know, medical coverage for players that have been in the NFL. The players have wanted that for a while. The owners have resisted that so you know these are complicated issues to work through and i don't know that you're the answer to your question chase i don't know enough about that to to give you a good answer on that but you know there's a lot of issues that different parties want resolved in these collective bargaining agreements and some stuff ends up getting thrown out or pushed to a later time but different people are fighting for different issues and you have to be able to sort through all of them i'm at least glad that they're working on it right now in february and it's not july and we're working through this and potentially heading into a lockout in august or september yeah i agree and just one last little thing and we can move on here but uh Something interesting, if, if you do have nine home games in a season, uh, the next season you would have eight home games. Wow. So just kind of flipping back and forth. That's interesting. Um, so yeah, and to me that isn't that big of a deal because I, no, I don't think home field in the NFL makes nearly as much of a difference as, say, a college football game. Yeah, no. I think um, you're right. And they would actually have – so they, they don't have a cap on it now, but they also would have a cap on total international games. Huh. So. Your 17-game can't be an international game. That so. is most interesting for the Jacksonville Jaguars, who seem like they play half of their schedule overseas these days. Uh, for audience who might not know, when would this proposed CBA go into effect? Um, so it, it's, if it passes, so um, as of right now, you know, they just got an update from Adam Scheffner here a little, little bit ago that the players are, the NFLPA is meeting this week. Um, they're going to vote on it on Tuesday. Um, from everything that I've read, if it passes on Tuesday, it'll go into effect for the new league year on March 18th. Wow. So... That's, you know, that's something, you know, you could see possibly a 17-game season, you know, this year. You could see seven postseason teams this year as well. So, really interesting to see what's going to happen here in the next few weeks in the NFL. Yeah, it really will be interesting to monitor. It's always interesting to see these labor negotiations and the twisted paths that they seem to take, especially in big sports leagues like the NFL. So we'll wrap up the show on the other side of a break. We'll talk about the Mizzou Olympic teams and follow it up with our title segment, Get It Off Your Chest. Ferd Walkons coming down the home stretch on a Friday afternoon. K 
KCOU would like to remind you that Missouri Tiger football and basketball are brought to you by El Rancho. Catch every Mizzou football game and Mizzou men's basketball game on KCOU 88.1 FM and on KCOU.FM. While you are online, check out El Rancho's website at www.columbiamomexicanfood.com or visit them downtown at 1014 East Broadway. Thank you, El Rancho, for supporting KCOU Sports. Are you looking for a breakdown of all the news and scores around the NFL and college football? 180! 180! Do you want to hear a deep analysis on the NBA and college basketball? Will I ever find love in this hopelessly romantic world? All those questions, besides that last one, will be answered on our new show, The Penalty Box, here on KCOU 88.1. Tune in on Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. where I, Peter Camp, and my co-host, Jack Knowlton, break down sports from around the country. We can't wait to see you there. Listen to Hate the Player, Not the Game on KCOU 88.1 FM every Wednesday with me, Lucas Owens. Shouldn't be expecting anything intelligent to ever come out of my mouth. And absolutely nobody else. Here's some of the worst segment titles in sports radio history. All right, that is all I have for the Zion Williamson weekly recap show. And a lot of other fun content surrounding the MLB, NBA, and Survivor Winners at War. That's Make sure to tune in every Wednesday from 9 to 10 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM for Hate the Player, Not the Game. Welcome back to the Preferred walk on Coming to the finish here on another afternoon in Sports Talk on KCU 88.1 FM. Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and Garrett Jones wrapping things up for you. Guys, you wouldn't know it by stepping outside, but we're actually getting closer to baseball season. Spring training games in the MLB started. Mizzou baseball actually started a week ago in Jacksonville, Alabama. They went 2-1 and one in that series, and they're in action this afternoon against a former Big 12 foe, a team that they played last year in the Kansas State Wildcats. That game was a total dominance in Columbia. You look at this the fourth year in Steve Beezer's tenure. Do you think that, just taking a step back and looking at it, broad brushstrokes, no NCAA tournament for Missouri because they've already been handed down the NCAA sanctions based off the tutoring scandal that came down over 13 months ago. Do you think this is a, quote, make or break year for baseball? No, because they they can't make the postseason. So I don't know how you could fairly judge, you know, unless they would have like a disastrous season. How could you judge if they would be in the tournament or not because they're not eligible? So no, and he just got a contract extension. So I would say no. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I I don't think, you know, I don't think it's one of those, hey, if you don't make the tournament this year, blah, 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 or whatever. Um, You know, Mizzou baseball, it's been on the up and up, you know, for a couple years now. They always just seem to play their way out of making it to the NCAA tournament. They really do every single year. It just seems like they do. Well, last year really seemed like the year that they were going to get it done. They came down the stretch. They had some tough SEC contests, specifically coming to a head against Florida, and then they dropped that series at home in Columbia. That really cost them from going to the NCAA tournament. And by the way, I mentioned that Kansas State-Missouri game. 
that one's gone final. The Wildcats take it five to one. Missouri is five and two on the year. They'll be in action again tomorrow in the Gleeberg Bank College Classic at the wonderful Whataburger Field in Corpus Christi. If you're ever down in that area, you should definitely go check that ballpark out. It's a great experience. But Missouri down there playing. They're headed down for south for the winter to take care of these early game seasons. Just looking at the schedule. You've got Auburn at home. You got Texas A&M at home. You've got Vanderbilt at home. You don't have LSU like they did last year at home, but there's still a lot of intriguing matchups on this home schedule. Is there any one that stands out to you as one you think they really need to take? Ooh, I I don't know if there's like one they need to take. I just think they need to continue to be competitive, right? Even you know, their only thing they could possibly win this year is the SEC regular championship, yep. regular season championship, which they're not going to. But I think they need to show some sort of fight in some sort of, you know, not just we're not going to make the tournament, so why why should we try? Which I don't think is their attitude. I don't think there's one that they necessarily need to take, but I think they just need to show continue, continually that they can be competitive this year even without a tournament possibility. Yeah, Ben hit it right on the head there. You know, I, I think they just need to... You want to play good baseball, you know. Even if you're not going to be eligible, you don't want to. You don't want to be bad, you know. I think, you know, Mizzou football was a perfect example of through the first six games that, you know, they didn't really know if they were going to be, you know, bowl eligible or not. You know, just based on the NCA, and they just played anyways. I, I think that that is what you know Mizzou baseball and Mizzou softball needs to do. They just need to play the game like like you're going to be eligible. I mean, what's the worst thing you do? Look really really good and have confidence for next year. Yeah. Mizzou baseball a week from today getting started at the Shriners Hospitals for Children College Classic. That gets underway at next Friday at 11 a.m. We'll have coverage of the whole weekend for you on KCU 88.1 FM. Pretty cool sending a crew down to Houston. So thank you to the Houston Astros for being willing to accommodate us. I have a question. Yes. Will there be trash cans? I knew somebody somebody was going to do it. And you know that they'll mention it on the broadcast. So that is a great question. Um, We'll have to see if there's a trash can anywhere near their setup because that would be a really good way to engage an audience on social media. Uh, so we'll have to see if they're, if they have anything like that coming up, but I mean, they have to have trash cans somewhere in yeah, Park, somewhere right? near them. Or well, maybe we can see if or our maybe they just don't, maybe one. they don't have trash cans, Ben. Maybe they're just like, just throw it on the ground. We'll pick it up later. <laughs> we don't want any trash cans. We don't want the jokes. They, they want to get far away from that. Uh, more non-revenue sports. Taking a look at Mizzou softball. They started out seven to zero in their season. They they eventually fall to ten and three on the year. They've lost three straight. However, they bounce back with a five to four win, a walk off in nine innings over Oregon State. They're playing in the Mary Nutter Collegiate Classic. They got UC Davis tonight. They've got New Mexico tomorrow, California as well on Saturday, and then Seattle University this weekend in California. Uh, you, you look at some other Olympic sports. Women's basketball got a big win last night, but they're still seven and nineteen on the season. Uh, they kind of seem to be turning in circles. They had a really tough non-conference slate. And then finally, Mizzou wrestling with a huge home match on a big weekend for wrestling in central Missouri. The Misha State Tournament getting underway at Mizzou Arena this weekend. So if you happen to be listening, welcome to Columbia. We hope you enjoy a big weekend of wrestling. Okay, guys, quickly, you got to hop off the air pretty fast, but give me your get it off the chest for this week. Okay, mine was going to be the amount of fouls, specifically in SEC basketball games that are being called. And I understand that the referees don't work by conference. They work in all conferences, or at least in multiple conferences. But it is insane. So this came from Blake Lavelle, who covers the SEC. Just in Missouri's last 10 games, these are the foul totals between the two teams. 57, no, sorry, not the foul totals, the free throws shot. So you can 
balance it out with the fouls. But the free throw is shot in the, la- in the last 10 games. 57, 75, 47, 73, 55, 47, 42, 46, 52, and 61. Then, if you go and look at the conference as a whole this year, in just an insane number to me, that when you compare the, the SEC versus the other conferences, all 14 SEC teams are averaging 19.7 or more free throw attempts per game. The next closest comparable conference had only eight teams averaging that many. So you put any two teams together in the SEC, they're averaging at least 40 free throw attempts per game. It is an incredible number of fouls being called right now. And you add on top of that, I still think the worst rule of five fouls and you're out, to yep. me it should be six. If you're going to call that many fouls, you can't have a five limit Foul out. We saw with Arkansas when they played Missouri, right. half their team fouled out of the game by overtime. This just cannot continue if you're going to call it like this and only have five fouls. And it just slows down the game right. incredibly when you have this many fouls being called every game. And I don't know why it's more in the SEC versus the other leagues because the referees are, as I said, are working multiple leagues. Mine uh, is the amount of NBA players and wanting buyouts. Um, that that really, I mean, it, it you know, it helped my favorite team, the Los Angeles Clippers. They signed Reggie Jackson. But it, it just seems like... Oh, well, they're having a bad I want to get bought out. It's like, can you not just play it? Like, I miss the old days where you just played the season on the team you were on. If you got traded at the trade deadline, great. If not, you just finished it out. You left in free agency. That's, I just, I, I'm getting real tired of just seeing all these people getting bought out. Yeah, I'll be quickly off the air. Mine's NBA related, so we can get way uh, to our friends at the Pulse here on a Friday afternoon on KCU 88.1 FM. I don't know if you caught the NBA All-Star game. The new format, awesome. The fourth quarter was really, really good and entertaining basketball down the stretch. However, I hated that it ended on a free throw. I thought that they should have just let the players play. Don't call a foul. Let somebody walk it off with a buzzer beater or whatever it is. I guess that technically be a walk-off shot. So that's what I wanted to see in the NBA All-Star game. Be curious to see if they keep that format. That's it for us. The preferred walk-on's getting off the air. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great weekend.